Good morning, church. Hopefully you've been enjoying our, our journey through Jonah, although I'm not sure enjoyment is the, uh, the thing that's intended that we get out of it. Uh, it's actually a very powerful story, and we've come to that stage that uh, we all know about. It's this stage where Jonah is actually in the belly of the fish. And remember that we've talked about the fact that the fish is not the thing. This is not actually about the fish. But he does find himself there. He's in the belly of this beast, this fish. And it's actually a powerful image in the story uh, because while he's inside this fish, he's in the process of crafting a really, really intricate and poetic prayer to the Lord. And so we've got to look and say, well, what happens to us when we find ourselves in the belly of the beast? If we find ourselves in a dark, confusing and frightening circumstance, because it's usually due to one of three scenarios, the first of which is the result of our own actions and our own sin. Now, if we look at Jonah, he's in a fish as the result of his own decisions, right? He doesn't have a lot to cry about. He can't blame anyone but himself. But it often happens that God's people end up in the belly of the beast, not always as a result of their own decisions. The second scenario is the outcome of someone else's sin. For example, in the book of Daniel, uh, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's exiled to Babylon because of his parents' sin and selfishness. So what do you do with that? How do you pray when you're sitting in the belly of the beast because of somebody else's sin that's spilled out into your own life? And the third scenario is a seemingly random series of unfortunate events. Sounds like a movie title. What do you do when you're trapped in the belly of the beast in life circumstances that are dark, that are confusing, and you can't see that it's your fault and you can't pin it on anyone else either? So this prayer of Jonah's is about being in these dark places and here's what I invite you to do. As we go through this prayer, use it as a filter to think about your own story. There may be some of you who are in one of these places right now. and You might be there because it's a mess of your own making. You might be there because somebody else's foolishness has spilled over into your life. Or there may be no reason that you can discern. It's just that some part or perhaps all of your life is falling apart and you don't know why. And so I just encourage you, as we go through Jonah's prayer, just use it as a way to think through your own experience and your own relationship with God. And so when we reflect on that, once I've finished and you have time in your own prayer time, in your own walk during the week, to look and reflect on how that applies to your life, okay? So let's jump into the belly of the beast. Jonah 2, 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. And notice what he says about God here. He says, you heard me, you're listening. Now, it's interesting because I think most of us, when we end up in seasons of life that are, that are like this, when things are falling apart and we feel confused or alone or trapped in life circumstances, many of us, our default understanding about what's happening is that God is not listening to us. He's nowhere to be found and he's abandoned us. And it's funny that Jonah draws exactly the opposite conclusion. He says, I'm in this scenario where I have no help, everything's gone to crap, I'm at the bottom and you're right there, God. He draws the conclusion that it's precisely in those moments that God is closest and most involved and attentive. So why does he draw that conclusion? Look at verse 3 where all of a sudden we see that his experience, or this experience here, has actually heightened his awareness of God's presence. 
He says, you threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Now, hold on a minute. Who threw him into the sea? Whose wild and stormy waves are crashing over him? Who does he say? He says it's God. Now, this is a bit disturbing. I mean, from chapter 1, we know who threw him over the side of the boat. It was the sailors. But who does he say hurled him into the sea? He says it's Yahweh. So how are we meant to interpret this? This confuses our ideas about how God relates to our lives. Who is ultimately responsible for Jonah ending up in this whole mess? Is it God's fault that Jonah made stupid decisions? Of course not. God isn't responsible for Jonah's sin. But Jonah has become aware that whether it's someone else's sin or whether it's his own sin that lands him right here in this confined, difficult hardship, God is not biting his fingernails. God is not surprised. And in fact, God is dealing mercifully with Jonah. But it is what we might call a severe mercy. It doesn't mean that God's responsible for Jonah's decisions, but it does mean that now he's made those decisions, God is present with him, and God is not just going to be his little genie in a bottle who's going to rescue him from all his problems. God is with him, but in a way that's different than many of us might feel comfortable with. It's actually hard for some of us to hear. Most of us have this default assumption that we invited God into our lives to give a smooth passage to our chosen destination and hopefully with a little comfort, security and safety along the way. But stories like the story of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and his brothers show us that if our idea of God is that his greatest priority is to make us safe and comfortable and happy, then we're going to be very disappointed. Please become an atheist now because your whole life experience is going to expose how naive that view of God is. This is not the God presented to us in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, God's highest priority is to call people to himself and to mould and to shape their character so that they come to understand the truth of who they are as creatures made in the image of their Creator. God's priority is for us to discover the truth, that we're not God, and that we make really poor captains of our own ship because we conveniently make the ship sail to whatever is best for us, even at the expense of others. In God's severe mercy, he may deal with us in ways that bring us to the end of ourselves. We might hate him for it. But the paradox of God's severe mercy is that it could be the best thing that ever happens to us because we discover the truth about how broken and selfish we are. We discover that we've been taking our life for granted. And it brings us to this place of dependence and humility. And, and that's, that's a crazy place to be. None of us have the insight to say we can see what God is doing in that scenario in your life or in my life. But the scriptures are very clear that there is no sin of my own, there is no sin of anybody else's that's beyond God's redemptive reach. It's always there to use as an opportunity to shape us in a deep and meaningful way. And that's God's high, highest priority, to shape us into the image of his son. And again, that might sit uncomfortably with you because it might mean you get tossed overboard because of something stupid you did or because of something stupid someone else did. But there you go. These are the challenges we must face in life. Let's move on to verse 4. He's still praying, remember? Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. He's talking to himself right that. This is his 
his forehead slap moment. He's like, I thought God gave me fully what I wanted, and it was horrible. It was horrible. I thought I was banished. And you can see the shift in his priorities here. He suddenly realises, oh, good grief. It was the God of mercy who's been chasing me the whole time. Because I don't know about you, but I've noticed there are a lot of people who just don't need God. And they don't need God because their ship is going pretty good for now. And they may get to Tarshish. They may not. But at some point, we're all going to realise that getting what we wanted is not going to give us life. And so there's a lot of people out there that there's nothing you can do to convince that they need Jesus except being that presence in their life for when their ship goes down. Then all of a sudden, everything changes and coming to Jesus looks attractive. Look at verse 5 where he says, This experience made him realise that he not only needs God, but God is the only thing he's going for. He's got going for him. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. And so all of a sudden, As he's at the brink of his own death, he realises all the amazing ways that God has shown favour and mercy and grace to him. Now, where is he? He's still in the belly of the fish. So he's having this really positive turn to gratefulness. and We might think that's, that's clearly the lack of oxygen because, I mean, how can you generate gratefulness whether you're still in the middle, in the midst of your circumstances? And there's this this paradox that when we discover the truth of who we are, and that the only thing we've got going for us is God's merciful faithfulness to redeem us out of the mess of our own making, or even the mess of someone else's making, we realise all of a sudden that our life does not belong to us in the first place. Jonah has clearly come to the conviction that his circumstances are not a reliable indicator of God's feelings or commitment to him. When we come to that place, we get to where Jonah is. It doesn't matter what happens in our lives. We know who we belong to. We know the one in whom our identity is grounded and that regardless of what happens, our life is right there in his hands. So Jonah concludes his prayer with pure, ecstatic gratefulness and praise. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfil all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. He's still in the belly of the fish. We need to ask ourselves today, how is this the word of God to me? See, this prayer invites us to consider that God is dealing with us in a severe mercy. That's that's a, that's a weird place to be. It's the best, but it can feel like the worst thing that could ever happen to us. Life is really hard, and where do you go for assurance that God's commitment to you is for your best. And as a Christian, as a community of Jesus, there's just one place that we point. We point each other to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If you belong to him, you can look at the cross and know that you may not be being spared being in the belly of the beast, but God can use that experience to do profound work in our lives that perhaps he can do no other way. So as we go into the week ahead, in your reflection time, I just encourage you to sit with this prayer in front of you and meditate on how it applies to your life 
right now. And some of us might just be ticked off and frustrated at God. Some of us may be having light bulb moments, like, oh God, I know exactly why I'm in the mess that I'm in. I need to turn around, I need to change, and I need to look back to God. May God bless you as you reflect. May God bless you in the coming week. I just thank you for his goodness and mercy in all of our lives. Amen. Have an awesome week.